Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. Let's uh, take our copy of the Word of God and turn to the book of Hebrews. We continue on through our chapter by verse study in Hebrews. We are starting a new chapter, chapter 10. Uh, Let's start right in. Chapter 10, verse 1. The author writes, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifices, offerings, I have no desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do the will, O God. After saying above sacrifices and offering and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have no desire, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from the time onward until his enemies be made his footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he had perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my law in their hearts and on their minds, I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Sometimes I think about when I was a kid, high school, I used to clean the church and I would get paid $6 an hour. And some of that money I would save, but you know, some of it I would spend on renting movies, VHS, anybody remembers that? I buy comic books, Uh, And I'd spend it on junk food, you know, hanging out with my friends. So then I think and I'll ponder, uh, what if instead of comic books, I'd bought some Apple stock? Apple stock in 1988 was selling for 29 cents. I I would buy a comic for a dollar. What if instead of a comic, I bought four Apple stock? Today, that stock's worth $142. That dollar... $1 was worth $568. I think I managed to save $1,000 when I was in high school. What if I'd bought stock with that? That would have been worth a half a million dollars by now. I would not owe any money on anything if I had that. I'd be debt free. Anybody want to buy some comics? (laughs) If I could go back and 
with the knowledge that I have now, there's lots of things I would do differently. Sometimes I think of bad things I've done. Sometimes I think of the stupid things I did, the hurtful things I said, or just things I should have did better. It's not very productive exercise to sit around reminiscing about past regrets because there's no way to go back and do it all over again. There, there's no benefit to beating yourself up or wallowing in shame. The only good that can come from rem remembering past failures is you can evaluate yourself and then, you know, decide to make some changes and not keep doing unwise, sinful choices. But we do not have to wallow in guilt or shame. I'm going to show you why in a moment. If you listen carefully, you'll learn why our sins are never remembered. And that's a good thing for us. Unfortunately, that's not the case for the Jews. No, in the Old Testament laws, the customs, there was this constant reminder of their sins. This is what the author's saying in verse 3. By faith we... Oh, chapter 10. <clears throat> but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. That doesn't sound like a good thing to have to keep being reminded about how evil you have been. Why would anyone be excited about that kind of a religious system? I saw there are some, ex some excitement in Israel recently because they discovered some red heifers in Texas, and then they have shipped them over to Israel. Woohoo, cows. Why, why would anybody be excited about cows? Well, it has to do with an Old Testament laws and customs. In order to purify the priest and the temple, a 100% red heifer had to be sacrificed, burned to ashes, ashes put in the water, and the water sprinkled on everything in a purification ritual. Since some of the Jews want to and are planning to rebuild the temple and renew the Old Testament laws, they're going to need a red heifer. And since they found some, this is another piece of the puzzle that brings them one step closer to their goal. If you're into end times prophecies, book of Revelation, book of Daniel, and you're watching for these signs, these types of current events, ooh, we find those very interesting. I think Jesus is coming soon. So every time I hear these things, I make a note. The book of Daniel prophesies about events in the last days that will be taking place in the temple itself. But as of now, there is, there's no temple for these things to happen in. So that fact kind of puts a damper on our literal interpretation methods. But when we hear reports that there is an organization actively planning and preparing to rebuild the temple, hey, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? And if you really want Jesus to come back soon, you're, you're going to feel like cheering for that. Yay, build that. However, bear in mind, rebuilding a temple in Jerusalem, while it may sound like a good thing, and we might think, oh, that's a sign of devotion to God, it's actually not a God-honoring act. It's not an act of obedience. At best, it's a misguided attempt to honor the Lord, but probably a big waste of time and money. At worst, it's an act of disobedience and heresy. It's a false religion. I hope I don't get canceled like Kanye for saying this, but the Orthodox Jews' plans to rebuild the temple and renew the Old Testament religious practices is blatant disobedience to the revealed word of God. It's a false religion. So yeah, I'm intrigued that they want to rebuild the temple because of the end time prophecies that include the temple, but this would mean, and that would mean that our little interpretations are accurate, but this religion is not a God-honoring religion because 
The new covenant has come and the old is no longer in effect. It's not doing the Jews any good. Matter of fact, it's distracting them from the true means of honoring the Lord. And I think that is true of many of us. Many of us are guilty of being distracted from the true means of honoring the Lord. Now, verse 1 was a little bit wordy, uh, but if you pull out all the modifying phrases, this is what the verse literally says. The law can never make perfect. See that? For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the form of very things, can never, by the same sacrifices which are offered continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. The law can never make perfect. So let's look a little bit at some of these modifying phrases. Um, the, the law, since it is a shadow, that's the second time the author has used the shadow comparison. We saw it back in chapter 8, verse 5. And he said, uh, the law served as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. So a copy and a shadow. The priests are not real mediators offering a real sacrifice. We said they're like actors acting out the play, telling the story of what is really going to happen when the Messiah does come and makes the real sacrifice for us. And then he goes up to heaven and he presents that to God the Father. That's what the law, that's what all the customs, that's what all the rituals were. They were just foreshadowing of what was really going to happen, not the real act. So those sacrifices that were offered every year, all those goats and all those bulls and all those lambs that they killed and shed the blood was never making anyone perfect. If it could have, then they wouldn't have had to keep doing it over and over again. And that's the author's point in verse two, isn't it? Otherwise, uh, it's, he says, the law never makes them perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. So follow the author's logic. If the sacrifice made perfect, then the individual could have stopped doing them. His conscience would have been cleaned, condemnation resolved. But if those sacrifices could do that, that would have been good. But that's not what was happening, right? In those sacrifices, he says, verse 3, there's a reminder of sin year by year. The ritual laying on of hands of the animal, identifying my sin with this animal's sin, and then cutting its throat and bleeding it all out, reminded the people, all oh, your sins have caused this. And your sins you did last year, we did a goat last year, and the sins you did this year, we're doing another one this year, and we're always being reminded every year of all these sins that have piled up from year to year. Got to remember them all year long, and then keep making sacrifices. And that's what was happening at the temple in Jerusalem. And all the Jews know this. This is what they practice. The offerings, the sacrifices, those were a requirement. So the logical conclusion is, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sin debt is never paid. That's why you have to keep paying it. So I thought of this illustration. The Old Testament sacrifices and the rituals is kind of like when you have a big credit card debt and you're making minimal payments on the interest, right? And how often do you got to keep paying on that? Every time. But is it ever going away? No, the debt is always there and you're never beating it down. So yeah, you got to keep doing that until you never stop. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that concept, that troubles me because debt always makes me feel very defeated. I resent payments. Uh, someone has an entitlement to my income and I just feel stuck paying that off. That's what the Jewish system had with their laws. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to pay the debt of sin off. Why? Why would you want to stay in that system, especially when someone's offering to pay the whole thing off for you? Here's a fun fact. The country of Canada, which I know a little bit about, has a bank act that says the government of Canada can borrow money from the Bank of Canada interest-free to pay for all federal, provincial, and municipal projects. And up until 1974, that's what they did. Hospitals, schools, infrastructure, bridges, they got interest-free loans, but not since 1974. They now borrow money from the global international banks and pay interest. And who's paying the interest? The taxpayer, of course. Why would you do that if you could have interest-free money? A few years ago, I wanted to put some new uh, flooring in the house, eh? So uh, Ileana says, guess what, Rob? They're, uh, they're offering us 16 months interest-free on this flooring. I said, that's great. Sign us up. Put the floor down. We got 16 months to save it all up. And then the day that it was all due, and if you didn't get there in that day, oh, they're going to hit you with 30% interest. Bang, right on top of it. We snuck right in at the last minute. Bang, paid that off. Free money. Didn't have to pay a bit of interest, you know? We paid our building off here in seven years, right? Bobby put us on track. Instead of a 30-year mortgage on this building, we paid it off in seven years. We saved how much? You remember? $1.5 million we saved in interest. That was wise. So building a school, a hospital, or a bridge, that's a very expensive proposition. The interest on that loan, that's going to be astronomical. But if you could have free, free interest-free loan, you're going to save millions. So why would the leaders of Canada choose to not take the interest-free loan, but opt for the loan that is incurring interest? Why would somebody do that? Well, you wouldn't, unless some lawmaker is getting personal benefits from using the globalist money, right? Canada, amen. Canada won't take advantage of their only legal rights and freedoms because some leaders in the country want to keep them as debt slaves. And this is what the Jews here in the book of Hebrews are doing. And this is what the Jews today in Israel, if they build that temple, are doing. They're keeping the people in spiritual bondage, keeping them as debt slaves because the blood of bulls and goats won't pay off the sin debt. So why would you do that? Well, I suspect, just like the Bank of Canada scenario, someone's profiting off the system and everyone else is too distracted to even understand what is really going on? Someone's profiting. Wonder who? Follow the money. Well, we know from we studied the book of Luke, last book we studied, the religious leaders who had the positions in the temple, they had a steady income of money. But all that goes away if the people no longer need the temple or their sacrifices. Jesus was opposed so much by the religious leaders in Israel because his message meant they lose their power. But it's bigger than that because Jesus is not just king of the Jews. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, king of the world, sovereign over all of creation. And yet not all of humanity serves him. 
Matter of fact, most of the systems of the world are hostile to Jesus and everyone else is just eh, distracted. Meanwhile, other principalities and powers hold sway over the governments and the levers of power. Ever, ever think about how much money is spent on vices, on evil pursuits? Ever think about that stuff? What, what if we had peace in the world? How much could be saved by not needing to spend money on the military industrial complex? And I'm sorry, Faith Bible Church, I just put most of us out of work with that very statement. <laughs> My bad. Oh, well, maybe I'll get a Christmas bonus. How much money is spent on abortion, on porn, on drugs, on addiction? How much is lost through fraud and theft? Or even how much money is wasted in courts and lawsuits simply because people won't tell the truth? Imagine how much simpler financial transactions would be if people would just simply give their word, shake their hands. You want to buy this car? Yes, yeah, shake hands. There you go. You don't have to fill out any paperwork or anything like that. You know, all the lawyers, I put them all out of work too. I put everybody out of work today. We've got to come up with a new economy or something. There is so much profiting off of sin, isn't there? Did you know that the nation of Qatar, who's hosting the World Cup, they, they had no soccer stadiums. When they won the bid for the World Cup, they, they had no stadiums, so they had to build them. And so they brought in all these foreign workers and promised them all these great jobs. You can have all these great jobs. And once they got there, they, the governments confiscated all their passports and turned them into slave laborers and made them work at all. And that, there's like over 1,000 people died building those stadiums. So, well, that's nothing new. I mean, the empires of the world, all of them were built off of slave labor. Scripture tells us the love of money is the, the root of all evil. The love of money is a snare, a means to trap us and keep us in bondage. First Timothy, Paul writes that in First Timothy. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the snare and many foolish and harmful desires which Plunge men into ruin and destruction. So that is a snare. And guess what? So is false religion. That's a snare, a means to trap us in bondage. This was coming out of the law, Deuteronomy, when the nation of Israel was coming into the new promised land. God told Moses, you shall consume all the people whom the Lord your God delivered to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, you so, nor shall you serve their gods. For why? Those gods will be a snare to you. Fear of man is a snare. It keeps us trapped in bondage. Proverbs writes, the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. And scripture tells us all about someone who wants to snare us and keep us trapped. Again, the apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy, and they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the, the snare of the devil, having been laid captive by him to do his will. And Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he must be of good reputation outside the church so he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The devil apparently has snares that he wants to use to keep us trapped. And so many people are trapped in the matrix of lies and sin, trapped in a kingdom of darkness that is fueled by greed, the love of money, the root of all evil. And why wouldn't you want money? I mean, you can buy whatever your hearts desire, but everything my hearts desires destroys me. I, 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 I feel something so right doing the wrong thing. And I, 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 I feel something so wrong doing the right thing. Couldn't lie, couldn't lie, couldn't lie. Everything that kills me. Nobody else knows this song. You just don't want to sing with me. Everything that kills me 
makes me feel alive. One Republic hit the nail on the head with that lyric. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. Everything my heart desires destroys me. That's why we, all along with the psalmist, needs to cry out in prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. When that spirit of greed, fear, anger, bitterness, lust gets a hold of you, you will destroy yourself. But when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God indwells you and shows you what's really up, you realize that you've been motivated, you've been enticed, living with the things of this world, and it's all a snare. The kingdoms of this world are passing away. The kingdoms of this world are built on lies and greed and slavery. And we can't give America a pass either, can we? $32 trillion in debt. How much higher are we going to build this house of cards? Listen to me, dear friends. Can't you see what really goes on? Can't you see all the snares of sin, all the lies and deception that are being used to keep us trapped, even we're doing it to ourselves? When we lie and we believe the lies and we religiously hold on to lies as truth, when we hope in the wrong things, when we reject the words of life, we doom ourselves. This is what the Jews were doing. And this is what many of us are guilty of doing, being distracted from the true meaning of life. Well, last week, the kids' choir, didn't they do an amazing job telling us the message and the meaning of Christmas? That was good, wasn't it? Huh? Most of Western society likes some aspect of Christmas, right? Certainly businesses love the, all the consumerism, and kids like toys, hmm? and uh, I like big goods, <laughs> Tanner, amen, yeah, right? You know, we, we all like parties and celebrations, but here we are last week, and what we're doing here, trying to cut through all the decorations and the hallmark storytelling and remind people it's all about Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate, carne, Latin word means flesh, like chili con carne, right? Chili and meat. God in meat. Oh, Mike, that song. That was perfect. Royalty robed in the flesh he created. So poetic. So doctrinally sound. Royalty robed in the flesh he created. God in meat. That's the message of Christmas. He came to this earth, born in the flesh. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says... Sacrifices and offerings you've not decide, not desired, but a what? A body you have prepared for me. A body, a sinless, perfect body prepared for the Messiah, the Son of God to be born into. And this continues on this passage. The whole burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin you've no, taken no pleasure. Then he said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written to me to do your will, O God. To do your will. He repeats that twice. This passage, uh, chapter 10, verse 5 through 7, is quoting Psalms 40, the Old Testament. So this is a messianic prophecy out of Psalms 40. And it says in Psalms 40, I put it up there for you. Sacrifices and offerings you do not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you do not require. Then he said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written to me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, at first that kind of threw me for a loop because it seems like the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 misquoted Psalms 40. 
There, there's no mention in Psalms 40. Did you notice that? There's no mention there of a body being prepared. There is this statement that my ears you have opened. Many translators, when they translate that over to the English, thought that the person was, the author was saying that these people aren't listening, but his ears you know, have to be open so he could listen. But the Hebrew word actually there that they translated open is kara instead of open. Most times when that word is used in the passages and other passages, it means to dig, to, to, to be dug. So like digging a well, that's what's used. Or he dug a well, a pit. Why would you dig into someone's ears? Well, kara is also used in Psalms chapter 22, verse 16, another messianic prophecy. Dogs surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked enclosed me. They karad, they pierced my hands and my feet. What the psalmist wrote is not, they translated, it's not dig, but rather pierced. So what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 40, verse 6, you don't delight in sacrifices and offerings, but my ear you have pierced. Oh, that's cool. Everybody wants pierced ears. What is that supposed to mean? Well, the ancient Hebrews knew exactly what that meant, right? Because of uh, Exodus chapter, chapter 21, right? It said in there, when you buy a Hebrew slave and he serves you six years, on the seventh he has to go, three, go free. But if the slave says, I love my master, my wife and my kids are here, I don't want to go free. The master will take him to the door and pierce his ear with an awl. So a pierced ear means you are a bond slave for life. You are going to serve. What do slaves do? They serve and they obey. That's what they do. What does this say in verse 8? I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is in my heart. So the Jews in the time of the writing of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, they didn't actually read Old Testament Hebrew. They studied the Old Testament in Greek. They used the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation, because all the world was using Greek. And our New Testament was written in Greek. So the Greek Septuagint translated the meaning of the expression, pierce the ear, means one's body, one's life is prepared for service. That's why he said a body you prepare for me. And this is what Jesus the Messiah was given a body for. Jesus was given a body in meat to serve. And what was the greatest act of service he did? Sacrificed. He sacrificed himself. John 10, or Hebrews 10, verse number 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the, there it is, the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He was born to be a sacrificial lamb. That's why he was born in a barn. That's why shepherds met him. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was born to be sacrificed. It's not the blood of bulls and goats that take away sin. What pays the price of all of our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then notice this statement here, moving forward in our text. I, I was actually got a question this week about sanctification. I was literally doing my studies, reading Hebrews chapter 10, and then, bing, comes up on my phone, a text message. Pastor Rob, if we are justified in Christ 
but we still are being sanctified, how can we approach God in death without being completely sanctified? We can only come into his presence pure and free from sin. When does sanctification happen? And I was reading Hebrews chapter 10, just 10, so I typed it back in. We have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Christ once for all. Right there, so simple. The people struggle to understand the all-sufficient nature of Christ's sacrifice. And once we confess Jesus as Lord, and once we've asked him to forgive us our sins, his sacrifice is for all sins, past, present, and future, hereafter. Now, what we're attempting to do, what we're attempting to do as Christians is every day we're trying to live in obedience, right? Trying to do things to live in obedience. But obedience is not payment for sins. Obedience does not, does not sanctify us. We are sanctified, according to the word of God, through the, what? Read it. Offering of the body of Christ when? Once for all. It's Jesus' sacrifice and his blood that sanctifies us. What we're doing daily is we're keeping on believing, trusting, abiding, resting, hoping in, placing our faith in Jesus. Then the author doubles down on everything he just said. Verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices that can't ever take away sin. But he, who's he? Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made his footstool for his feet. That'd be cool. For by one's offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Time after time, year after year, the Jews, the audience, they know this to be true. How many bulls have you sacrificed as guilt offerings in your lifetime? You know, some of us, Jerry, you know, you've been around for a long time. You're a Jew, right? How many bulls have you sacrificed? Oh, I've sacrificed lots of bulls, Pastor Rob. You going to do some more? Yeah, sure looks that way. Always being reminded of our sins. But as a believer in Jesus, we don't focus on remembering our sins. What do we remember? What's our communion table say? This do in remembrance of me. We remember Jesus. We remember his life, his love, his great sacrifice, all of his promises. We remember that we are perfected forever because of what he's done for us. We remember that our debt is paid and we remember that we are now children of God and heirs to a heavenly home. And we remember that Jesus is coming back again to rule and to reign, to make his enemies his footstool and we're gonna join him. And I tell myself this every time life is unjust or unfair, every time one of these institutions of the world is oppressing, mistreating, manipulating, deceiving, I do not despair. I just remember their nays are numbered. Their term limits are, are there's, a, there's a timeline on their term limits. These human governments, soon and very soon their time is up because Jesus is coming again and I'm going to be part of that system. So tax me now, sure. Lie, cheat, steal, crap up my insurance now, right? That's what you can do to me now, but that is not going to last. Their days are numbered. Don't get distracted and forget that we're, what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. We are to honor the Lord. We're to honor the Lord. And the Holy Spirit testifies to us, verse 15, saying, 
This is the covenant I'll make with them. After those days, says the law, I'll put my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I'll write them. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. I love that statement there. The Holy Spirit testifies to us. I've witnessed that so many times. The Holy Spirit testifying. I've had some occasions just recently to sit down with some young adults and tell them candidly about God and Jesus and salvation and the devil and the spirit world and eternal life. And it just, you know, he started into this conversation. It's like a fire hydrant of information and doctrine just coming out of me. And I'm, I'm looking at these young people and I'm thinking, am I freaking them out? Is this too much? I probably sound crazy. But uh, I look at their eyes and I watch their, their body language and their demeanor tells me they're glued to the conversation. They're locked in on what I'm saying. And I suppose it's just because I'm so articulate, eh? That's what it is. No, it's because at that moment, the Holy Spirit is at work. And while I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is testifying. This is true. This is real. Pay attention. You need to know this. And this happens every time I stand up to preach. The Holy Spirit starts working on somebody. Maybe he's working on you today. We do not minister in our own spirits, in our own strength. God is not willing that any should perish. God loves everyone. Jesus died for everyone. God, the Holy Spirit, works in and through us and our words to proclaim this gospel message. This is what God has sworn he would do. This is the new covenant. I will come and I will put their laws in their hearts and on their minds and their lawless deeds. I will remember them no more. He will put his laws in our hearts and minds. And what does he do with our sins? Remembers them no more. That is amazing. God never again remembers our sins. Since he's forgotten them, maybe we should forget about them too, eh? We need to stop wallowing in the past, beating ourselves up, living with regret and shame. If Jesus paid the price, your debt is paid. It's gone. The sun sets you free. You are free indeed. Amen. God the Father invites you to join him in fellowship at his banqueting table. Come to the table. That's the meaning of the name of Tom and Michelle's ministry. Come out of the lies. Come out of the shame. Be set free. Come to the table. Anyone want to be forgiven today? Stop remembering your sin. Remember Jesus instead. Let's bow in prayer. There's someone here today. This is maybe the first time. You've even understood this. Jesus died for your sins. All you got to do is accept that gift. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. You're the son of God. You came down here. You died. You rose again. You've promised me eternal life. Forgive me of all my sins. Thank you that you cleansed them. I don't want them anymore. Please set me free. Let me be your child. Let me be your son, your daughter. Let me do your will. Lord, we just pray that someone here today would accept that free gift. All the price, all, the, all of it was paid by you, paid in full. We no longer have to remember it and make payments on it. Just remember you, Jesus, and all that you've done. Thank you for this gift. We pray in Jesus' name.